Dear Father in heaven, Lord, once again, we thank you for this beautiful day. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, the blessings that you've given all of us, family, friends, this gathering, this house that you've given us to meet in. And Lord, we ask you now to please send your Holy Spirit, fill this gathering with your angels as we open your word, open our hearts and minds as we study this sometimes confusing topic. Lots of talk out there in the world about this millennium. And Lord, we just want to know what you have to say about what happens in this thousand years. So Lord, please draw us near to you. Continue to expand in your truths. Protect us. Keep us safe. We ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1920s, a young woman named Rose was from New York City. She lived a life consumed with pleasure. We've heard the 20s, right? The roaring 20s. She seemed to exist to attend one party after another. That would consumed her life, to have a good time. But suddenly, at the ripe age of 21, Rose was struck down by sleeping sickness. The medical term is encephalitis lethargica, sleeping sickness. After some time, Rose awoke. But now she was immobile. She was frozen in an awkward position on the bed. The local doctor said it was just a catatonic, or I'm sorry, a catatonia, which would go away in about a week. He says, don't worry about it. You'll be fine in a week. But the months passed. And then the years passed. She remained fixed in an incomprehensible state. Eventually, Rose's body became rigid, and she was committed to a medical institution. She laid in a bed or sat in a wheelchair for 48 years. 48 years. Remarkably, in 1969, a Dr. Oliver Sacks administered a newly developed drug called L-Dopa. And then Rose awoke from her long sleep. And during the following days, her eyes brightened. She felt bursts of energy. The physicians were amazed. To them, this was a great awakening. Of course, she was only awakened to age, and eventually death. Scripture describes another awakening. This time when we wake up, we will never go to sleep again. Praise the Lord. My friends, this is probably the most hopeful thing in the entire Bible. And what gives special meaning to our theme. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. As I said, you're going to see this slide every presentation. Test everything with your Bible. Play the CDs. Continue to go through your Bible, the scriptures I give you. This time, we will not be living in time. We will be living in eternity. Jesus describes this incredible event in these words. Turn me to John chapter 5. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, page 1030. John, chapter 5, verse 28. 
Jesus says, do not marvel at this. What, he, what he's saying is, don't be surprised. Don't be confused. So do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is Jesus talking about resurrection. And how many resurrections did he mention in that passage? Two. Right? What did he call them? The resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. Now the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when these will take place. But it does tell us there will be two resurrections. Jesus himself tells us that. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. The first resurrection is the resurrection of life. Jesus Christ comes on that glorious day. Men and women who have been sleeping in the tomb awake. And they awake this time to never go to sleep again. Amen? They awake this time to see the face of Christ. They awake to see the glory of God. Turn me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 1137. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. We studied this last night. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise when? First. First. So when you and I close our eyes in the sleep of death in Christ, the next thing we will know is the coming of Christ. Coming of Jesus. My friends, death is not to be feared anymore. It is not to be feared anymore than a good nap. Our lives are hid with God. Jesus will mark our grave. And the Bible continues. In verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Does Jesus touch the ground at this point? No. So we go up to him. There's a glorious resurrection that will occur. And with those who are ready to meet him, they ascend up in the air to meet Jesus. Gravity ceases to have an impact on their bodies. And the verse closes with, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. As I've told you, that's one of my favorite verses. Ever. We shall ever be with the Lord. My friends, when Jesus Christ comes back, there are only two classes. The saved and the lost. Those in the first resurrection and those destroyed by the brightness of his coming. That's the two classes. As I've mentioned before, there is no second chance when Christ comes. The Bible is clear. Jesus comes with his reward, remember? Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Page 1189. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy 
is he who is part of the first resurrection. Which resurrection? First. Think of it. Think about how it's going to be like a little child who died at four or five years old is resurrected from her grassy tomb. Think of the incredible joy that that mother will have when she holds that child in her arms once again. Amen? Fathers and mothers with their saved children will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Perhaps you've lost someone, a friend or family member, loved one to death. The resurrection of the righteous believers, my friends, will be a joyous reunion. A joyous reunion. But as I said, there's two groups when Jesus returns. The first group is resurrected to live with Christ forever. The living, righteous believers are changed and they ascend through the sky with glorious immortal bodies, never subject to disease or death. There is another group as well. Revelation describes an event that is filled with sadness and agony, not joy. It describes a second group of people who are not joyously awaiting the return of the Lord. They are not happily awaiting the resurrection of their loved ones. When they see Christ coming in the clouds, when they see him come down through the scroll of the sky, I want you to notice what the Bible says their reaction is. Turn to Revelation chapter 6, page 1178. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. A much different reaction than the believers have. Amen? For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It's a powerful question. You see, my friends, those two classes, that first class looks up and says, this is our God. They run towards the the appearing They have waited for him, and they know he will save them. They are excited about the coming of Jesus. But there is a second class. They look up, and their hearts are filled with fear. They feel guilty. My friends, guilt makes you want to run. They cry for the rocks to fall on them. Can you imagine that? Have the rocks fall on you is better than the appearing of God. What a shame. What a tragedy. This Christ who wants to save them cannot save those who have turned their backs on him. 
This Christ, who they run from, wants to take them to a new world where there is no sickness, no sorrow, no death, no pain. And their reaction is to run away. To run from him. They turn their backs on him because they have never crowned him king of kings. So now, they do not accept him as king of the universe. What does it mean to accept Jesus as king? It means to invite him to rule on the throne of your heart. It means, Lord, I'm not going to run my own life. I'm going to allow you to run it. I'm going to give you control over my life. I am not going to sit on the throne of my heart. I'm going to allow you to sit on the throne of my heart. My friends, tonight Jesus invites you to make him your Lord, your Savior, and your King. No one needs to be unprepared for his second coming. We can choose to let him be our Savior, to let his love fill our hearts. He comes again to redeem us all. He comes to take us up from this sin-stained world. That's why, as we look around, we do not need our hearts to be troubled. The second coming of Christ is the great hope of all believers. It takes away all doubt. It takes away all fear regarding the future. My friends, believers know the end. I've mentioned this many times in many sermons. I saw it on a church sign, and it has stuck with me forever. It said, I've read the book, God Wins. It's the simplest summary of the entire Bible. Jesus says in John chapter 14, page 1042, turn me to John chapter 14. We've seen this scripture a few nights. This is one of the glorious promises in the entire Bible. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What does he say in that verse? He doesn't say, I might come again. I could come. No, he says, I will come again. My friends, it's a promise. The Lord says, I will come again. And when I do, I'm going to take you with me. To a better world. To a better life. My friends, if he came to earth once before, he's coming back again, amen? This time, though, not as a child, not born of a virgin, not as a babe in a manger in Bethlehem. This time, not to die on a cross, but to reign on a throne. Christ is coming again in the clouds of heaven. He comes as a conquering general. All the world's wrongs, all the world's evils will finally and completely be put to an end. 
So let's talk about the events at Christ's second coming. Believers are resurrected. Amen? Victory over death. Resurrected. We get wake from the sleep. Then believers receive immortality. Praise the Lord. The wicked living consumed. Now this is important. If all the believers have gone to Jesus and the wicked that are living on the world are consumed, how many people are alive on the earth at that moment? Nobody. All the wicked are consumed. There's no one left. All wicked are consumed with the brightness of Christ's coming. The wicked dead remain in their graves. Those that went to the grave wicked as enemies of God stay there. They are not yet resurrected. The resurrection of the righteous is the first resurrection. And then believers ascend to heaven with Christ. Amen. We get to go to heaven with Christ, with the King. But what happens next? What happens after Christ comes? Does the Bible tell us about events after the second coming? What is the condition of the earth when believers are caught up to meet Christ in the air? What happens to Satan? Is he destroyed? Is he left on the earth? When does God make the earth new? What did Jesus mean when he said he was going to create a new heavens and a new earth in 2 Peter chapter 3? And what did Jesus mean when he said the meek shall inherit the earth? Those are great questions, aren't they? And when does this happen? My friends, these questions have good answers. And we're going to explore some of them from the book of Revelation. Amen? Here's another question. Is anyone alive on the earth during the 1,000 years? What's the Bible say about that? As I said, the book of Revelation provides some answers. In Revelation chapter 19, which we've studied several nights, we find a description of Christ coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. We see a picture of him as a returning victor, conquering all the forces of evil. Turn me to Revelation chapter 20, page 1189. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. 1189. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for how long? A thousand years. There's this thousand years thing that we're talking about tonight. The word millennium is not used in the Bible. You can search the entire Bible cover to cover. You will not find the word millennium. You will not. It comes from two Latin words, meaning mill and anium, meaning 1,000 years. And I want you to notice that the Bible says that Satan is cast into the bottomless pit. We just read it. So what is this bottomless pit? Is it some subterranean cavern in the, within the middle of the earth? Well, you see, the New Testament word written in Greek language for bottomless pit is abusos. That's the word that's used in the Greek text. 
It means abyss. It's where our word abyss, the English word abyss comes from. So how is this word used in the Bible? An abyss or an abusos is simply a place of darkness. In fact, if we look in the book of Genesis, turn me to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 2, page 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void. When the Bible uses the term without form and void to describe a desolate earth, it uses the word abusos. So the bottomless pit in Revelation 20 is not some deep subterranean cavern in the middle of the earth. When Christ comes the second time, the righteous dead are resurrected, and the righteous living are caught up with him in the air to meet the Lord. Amen? When Christ comes the second time, every mountain, every island is moved out of its place. The wicked living are destroyed with the brightness of his coming. They are consumed with the glory of Christ's return. Unbelievers are destroyed. Destroyed. The dead unbelievers stay in their grave. So when Christ comes a second time, the earth is made desolate. Abusos. It's made desolate. It's like an abyss. Like it was before God spoke the world into existence. It was without form and void. So the bottomless pit is the abyss. It's a Desolate, destroyed planet Earth. Desolate, destroyed planet Earth. What about these chains that bind Satan? For a thousand years. Does God come down and put handcuffs on Satan? Does he chain him up with one of those great big steel balls that we see in movies? What kind of chains are we talking about here? Well, my friends, the Bible tells us very clearly. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, page 1166. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So during the thousand years... Satan is bound or chained on earth, according to Scripture, with the chains of darkness, not handcuffs. He's not physically chained. He's chained by circumstance. During the thousand years, he's wandering around in an abusos, a desolate earth with no one around to tempt. He is chained along with his evil angels in the horrible darkness of his own evil deeds. He's a victim of circumstance. A chain of circumstances binds Satan. But during the thousand years, why doesn't Jesus come down and just make the world new? Why leave it desolate for a thousand years? My friends, everything God does is to ensure the security of the universe for eternity. God's plan is a much bigger plan 
than we sometimes or most of the time can understand or grasp or get our heads around. We think about the now. We think about the short term. We think about how it impacts us when God has an entire plan. And he planned for eternity. And his plan is forever to do away with sin. Forever. You see, God is handling the sin problem in a way that is not some quick-fix solution. God desires that sin will never raise its ugly head up again. In order for this to happen, or in order for that to occur, two things must happen. The entire universe, angels, and human beings on earth must know that God is a God of incredible love. That God is worthy to be trusted. Remember, the accusations against God was that he was arbitrary, he was a dictator. His law couldn't be kept. He's holding back from you. My friends, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to show that God so loved the world. That he is this God of incredible love. And that we can trust him. You see, no sin is so dark that God's love cannot blot it out. He will go to any length to save us. He'll pull you out of any pit. He'll lift you up out of any hole. This great controversy between good and evil can never be settled unless the whole universe sees and accepts how bad sin really is. God needs to reveal that to everybody. The consequences, the cost of sin. So Satan wanders around in the dark, broken earth, echoing and re-echoing throughout the universe these words. The wages of sin is death. As the entire heavenly universe looks down upon earth, they will see that this is what it's like without God. Remember, Satan wanted to rule. He did. That's what he wanted. He wanted to rule. God says, here you go. This is what you get if Satan rules. This is the result if sin runs wild. But back to the question, is there anyone alive on earth during this millennium time? As we've established, Satan and his angels are bound through a chain of circumstances on a desolate earth. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 4. Turn there. Jeremiah chapter 4, page 730. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void. And the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled. And all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man. And all the birds of heaven had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness. And my friends, it's obvious that the prophet is not describing creation. Amen? This is a time when the fruitful land Earth becomes a wilderness, becomes a desolate place after Jesus' second coming. 
Continues. I'm sorry, back. He says, I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. Turn me to Jeremiah chapter 25. Same book, just to the right. Page 756. Jeremiah 25, verse 33. And at that day the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They're going to cover the whole earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. Why will they not be lamented or gathered or buried? There's nobody there. There's nobody there to lament them. There's nobody there to gather them. There's nobody there to bury them. The righteous have gone with Jesus. The wicked are dead. They shall become refuse on the ground. My friends, love brings life. Selfishness brings death. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, page 1189. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. My friends, I say, what a passage. It says the righteous are priests of God. And they shall reign with him a thousand years. Reign with him. Praise the Lord. So what are we going to do? Or what are we doing during this reign with Christ? What are we going to do? Back up a couple verses. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. So they're sitting on thrones. My friends, never sell your life cheap. There are only two ways. The way of life and the way of death. God says, at this time... The books are going to be open. Verse 12. 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. You say, wait a minute, Dan, I don't understand this. What do you mean these books are going to be open? Why after the lost are lost? Why are the books open then? Isn't that a little late? Well, you see, my friends, there's a drama between good and evil. There's a drama between Christ and Satan. Remember that great controversy that we talk about. And during this thousand-year period, during this millennium, God is going to answer every question. We are going to have the opportunity to look over heaven's books. We will then fully understand that God has done everything he can to save every person. Don't you think there's going to be some questions? You're in heaven and somebody else that you love isn't, or vice versa? Wait a minute. That guy or that woman seemed really righteous. 
What's going on? God's, no, I'm going to let you see. I'm going to let you see what's going on. God's going to show us that anyone who is lost is lost by their own choice, by their own choices. The universe, the entire universe will understand once and for all that God has done everything that could be done to save the human race. Every question about his justice and love will be fully answered. And the amazing thing is this, that an all-loving, all-wise, just God allows us to participate in his final judgment. We get to ask him questions. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 1102. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? And in verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? Well, think about this. We're going to judge angels. When heaven's books are opened, we'll fully understand why certain things happened to us in our lives. We'll understand the hard times and the good times. We'll see how everything fit into God's wonderful plan. Now I want to review what happens during this thousand-year period known as the millennium. Is, is it becoming clear so far? Amen. So events during the millennium, the righteous are in heaven. The wicked remain dead. Satan and his angels are bound on earth, remember, bound by circumstance. And the earth remains desolate, an abusos, an abyss. That's events during the millennium. So what happens after the millennium? After the thousand years are up? Well, first of all, the wicked dead are resurrected. Turn me to Revelation chapter 20, page 1189. Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Think about that. The rest of the dead in this passage are the wicked dead. The wicked dead. So we have a resurrection of life for believers at the beginning of the thousand years, and we have a resurrection of damnation for the wicked at the end of the thousand years. John describes this group of lost human beings with a remarkable phrase. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. And we'll go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. My friends, this is one of the saddest verses, one of the saddest pictures in the whole Bible. How many are lost? They number the sands of the sea. My friends, that's a sad, sad story. The drama of the ages unfolds 
the battle between good and evil comes to a glorious climax. Satan and the wicked from all ages form a gigantic army to attack the holy city, which descends from heaven at the end of the 1,000 years. I want you to listen to this remarkable description of these events. Back to Revelation chapter 20. Verse 7. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Now turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. So Satan's been released from his binding, from being his, his victim of circumstance. Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. As I said, it's the climax of the ages. The holy city descends to earth. Satan and the resurrected wicked marshal their forces in a great big army, and they rush the gates of the city. They want one last time to overthrow God. To take control of the universe. And my friends, every one of us will either be inside the city with Christ or will be outside the city with Satan and the evil hosts of hell. Jesus will either be Lord of all in our hearts and we will set with him on the throne of the universe or selfishness will be the throne of our hearts, and we will battle against him on that final day. Revelation reveals that the headquarters of the entire universe will be shifted from heaven to earth. God's government, God's city will come to earth. My friends, It is an amazing thing that God can take this planet in rebellion and restore it to Edenic splendor and beauty. Back to how it was at the beginning. I want you to listen as the Apostle Paul describes this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. My friends, the Bible says the tabernacle of God will be with men. We will rule with him. The glorious holy city will descend. Satan will marshal marshal the legions of the lost. They will attack the city believing that they can take control of the universe. They will think that they can win because Satan will deceive them one last time into making them think they can win. Now verse 9. Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven. And devoured them. The Bible says fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them all. The entire universe is clean. 
restored. Satan and his evil angels are destroyed. Out of the ashes of the old world, God makes a new one. Revelation chapter 20, now verse 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. My friends, before the wicked and the unsaved are destroyed forever, God allows them to see a panoramic view of their lives, of their choices. They too now understand that God is fully just even in the destruction of the lost. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee, even his enemies. The entire universe in a symphony of praise declares just and righteous are thy ways, O God. These amazing scenes are portrayed in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. It begins with these words in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. You see, my friends, the fire has done its cleansing work. And God creates a glorious, perfect, new earth. He restores what was lost. Sin is destroyed. Rebellion is destroyed. The enemy is destroyed. The world is made new. Paradise restored. Let's talk about evidence at the end of millennium. Let's review. Christ and the saints and the city descend. The city of God descends. The wicked dead are raised. Satan is loosed, remember, from being bound. He's loosed again. He gets what? He gets more people, the same people, to tempt one last time. That was what he was bound from. He was bound from not being able to do the one thing that he enjoyed, was tempting people, deceiving them. So now he's going to get another chance. And then we see this last judgment. And then finally, after the Lord, I want you to think about how loving that is. Even his enemies, he's going to show them the books. These are your choices. In fact, my friends, the heart of God is so pure of love, he knows those people would never be happy under his government. They would never be happy in the holy city. Merciful, loving God. So Satan and the sinners are finally destroyed. The earth is cleansed and renewed. All of the destruction, all of the decay, gone. I want to ask you a question. Would you like to live 
in this new heaven and new earth. Amen. Would you like to live in a world that has no sickness? Would you like to live in a world that has no suffering, no heartache, and praise the Lord, no death? A land where worry and want are no more. A land where all fear, all anxiety are gone. A land where there are no prisons, no hospitals, no soup kitchens, no war, no disease, no poverty, no mental institutions. A land where love and peace and righteousness and goodness reign forever and ever. Turn me to 2 Peter chapter 3, page 1167. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth. Peter's saying that that's the believer's greatest hope. Their greatest desire. And I love where he says, according to his promise, Peter's saying, claim his promise. He has promised us this. Peter says, claim it. Be part of it. He's telling us, do you want to be there? Because it's coming. Peter says, you have a chance to not be on the outside of the gates fighting to get in. You can live in that land. God gives you invitation tonight. There is nothing more that he wants than for us to live with him in his new heavens and his new earth for all of eternity. That's God's deepest desire. My friends, I ask you to reflect. I ask you to think. I ask you to search your hearts. Is there anything in your life that would keep you from being there with Jesus? Are you holding on to something tonight that is in your heart that you know to be wrong, but you keep doing it anyways? Is there some weight of guilt that keeps you from a full surrender to him? Is there some habit, some temptation that binds you, that anchors you? My friends, you can be free. You can free yourself from those chains if you will surrender to Jesus. You see, my friends, one day, Jesus will reign on the throne of this universe. But tonight... He wants to reign on the throne of our hearts. Will you allow him to do that right now? Will you submit? Will you surrender? Will you turn over those things that are separating you from God to him? My friends, he does not leave you alone. He does not leave you astray. He offers you all the strength, all the power, 
All the love to overcome. But you have to ask him. Remember the first three nights I showed you a picture of a door with no doorknob. With Jesus knocking on it. He will not force the door open. He will not force his way into your heart. But if you crack the door open, he will rush through. He will fill your lives. He'll fill your heart. He promises to transform us. And as Peter told us, he promises us a new heaven and a new earth and a new body. Now, my friends, I ask you, will you allow him to do that for you tonight? Will you allow him to do that as we pray tonight? As we bow our heads to pray, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand if you have a special need of coming closer to him tonight. Maybe you have never given him your life before and you want to do it tonight. Maybe something else has been in the throne of your heart and you want him to take over that space to replace what has been ruling your heart for so long. Maybe you once knew him, but you have drifted apart from him. And tonight you want to return. You want to place him back on the throne of your heart. So my friends, I ask you, raise your hand if that is your desire. It's mine. My friends, he will accept you. He will receive you. Your sins can be forgiven. He will give you a new sense of power in your life to serve him. Do and will you give your whole life to him as we pray? If so, please stand with me. Let us close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you have endured to rescue us. And Lord, it's a marvelous rescue plan, a plan of salvation that cost you so much. But Lord, I thank you so much for being willing to do that for me and for these dear souls here tonight. And Lord, we thank you for this clear understanding, this clear explanation of this millennium. There's some dark times ahead in the world, Lord, but there's also a glorious day ahead. And it depends on which side we're on, Lord, and I just ask you to please continue to call these dear souls to your side. Call them to your throne. Beg them, woo them, but most of all, Lord, continue to outstretch your loving arms. And Lord, for those that are searching and those that are struggling, continue to send your Holy Spirit to contend with evil, to help them to fight off the evil one, the enemy, and draw them into your loving arms. Lord, I ask you to please continue to search our hearts, continue to draw us nearer and nearer to you, continue to transform our characters. And Lord, call those that are struggling with that lifelong decision. Lord, I ask you please to keep us all safe. Keep those safe that are traveling. Bring us back again tomorrow night so that we can continue to learn about you and your character. Lord, I ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.